And I hope you have a copy of God's Word nearby and uh, with you this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 24. Uh, Luke 24, we'll begin reading um, around verse number 10 in just a few minutes. Um, and maybe you recognize the title um, on the, uh, the screen, Through Their Eyes. Um, if you've been with us for a while, you'll know that we've used that title and we've been in this series before. About a year ago, um, leading up to Easter, we opened up to Luke's Gospel and set out to see and know Jesus through the eyes of his original followers in his original audience. And Luke's gospel specifically aims to put us in the shoes and give us the perspective, uh, give us the eyes, if you will, of the ones who saw it for themselves. Um, and his purpose for writing was to create this documentary, like a documentary series you would watch on TV. His purpose in writing was to create a documentary of the story of Jesus and the movement that sprung up out of it. And uh, Luke had joined the movement um, by way of the Apostle Paul. He joined Paul's missionary team um, when Paul was traveling through Greece. And uh, Luke watched and listened Paul defend Christianity as the fulfillment and the answer uh, for the world's need of redemption since the beginning of time. Luke heard Paul preach over and over again before Gentiles and before Jews that Jesus and Christianity was the fulfillment of God's plan from the beginning to reach not only the Jewish people, but the whole world to gather and call to himself a people. Paul would preach over and over again that what God had done had not taken place in a corner. And if only people could hear it and see through the eyes of those that witnessed it for themselves, they would be convinced, they would be persuaded that Jesus was indeed God's Messiah. He was indeed the one and only way to connect with God, the one and only way to enter a relationship with God. Luke was inspired, no doubt, by Paul and his preaching. He set out to investigate and document everything he could find out about Jesus. He was sponsored by a patron named Theophilus, and Luke went to the Holy Land. He went to Jerusalem. He went to Judea and Galilee and investigated and interviewed and came together and brought together all these truths and all these stories and all of these encounters. And by the time he was done, Luke was thoroughly convinced, and he was certain that everyone else would be as well if they could only hear the story for themselves. And isn't it so incredible that 2,000 years later, you hold in your hands a copy of the document that Luke wrote. You hold in your hands the Bible that contains Luke's two-volume documentary, Luke and Acts, as they're called. We hold in our hands the story that Luke went and investigated, the story that Luke went and thoroughly sought after and put down on paper, and we are still being convinced. We are still being reminded. We are still being informed by Luke's writing. Isn't it amazing that all these years later, his dream, his idea is still being realized. Uh, the pastor and scholar Kent Hughes writes, Luke believed that the proper telling of the story would certainly produce belief in its truth. He believed in the power of the gospel. And that's why Luke started his gospel like this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, as in these things happened, many are writing about it. There's a guy named Matthew, he was a follower. Mark, he was friends with a follower. There's a guy named John, he's writing a pretty incredible story, uh, a narrative based on these events. And I as well um, want to write down what has happened in our world. 
Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Luke says, the story I'm passing along to you is not hearsay. It's not something that happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I have talked to the very people that saw it with their own eyes and heard it with their own ears. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. That was his sponsor, but he's writing to a much larger audience than just one. But right now, the only audience that matters is you. And Luke was writing for you as well. He goes on to say that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke puts his own reputation on the line. He was a doctor, but he was also a very, um, very informed, very skilled writer and historian. Luke says, I'm writing this down so you can have certainty that what you've heard is absolutely gospel. If you read any of the gospels, you get the picture that so many people trusted in Jesus because of what they saw, because of who they saw, and you probably know this, but Luke's story does not end with the death and resurrection of Jesus, but it actually takes on a whole new form after Jesus rises from the dead. The focus of Luke's story, the focus of Jesus' ministry, shifts to the focus of the ministry of his disciples that continued in his stead. And that's why volume two of Luke's story, we know it as Acts, uh, begins in a similar way as the first one, emphasizing that the story you're about to read is as seen and heard and done by Jesus' very own followers. Acts goes on to tell the story how the Jesus movement was just getting started. His departure wasn't the end of his earthly ministry, but actually just the beginning. There was indeed more and more to come. In Acts, we get to witness his disciples as confident as himself, as bold as Jesus, as empowered as Jesus. But the transition from Jesus' resurrection to the church's expansion isn't as smooth and wasn't as smooth as you might imagine, right? Luke actually gives us thorough and detailed accounts of what it was like for them in the gap between his resurrection and between and before the church actually got started and actually got going. In case you didn't know this, things didn't go so well and things weren't going so well in the immediate aftermath of his resurrection. You would, you would think, why wouldn't things be better than ever? He had risen from the grave. They weren't necessarily expecting it, and they didn't really know what to do with it. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But honestly, that's what makes Luke's story so compelling and so remarkable. Luke doesn't just show us the disciples confident, bold, and empowered, but he shows them to us weak and vulnerable and even in disbelief, as in giving up and writing off Jesus after he had died. They had unfollowed. They were no longer believers. And Luke, of course, interviewed them, and they told him to include this in the story, which makes it all the more believable, all the more relatable, I think. And when we see, and we see them at their weakest, we see them at their most vulnerable, we see them the most confused and despondent in the immediate aftermath of Jesus' resurrection. And, and, and the thing is, their response to Jesus' greatest miracle their response to his greatest gift was full of pessimism, confusion, negativity, and fear. So if you've ever felt like, if you've ever heard the story of Jesus or heard the things from the Bible and your response isn't bold and empowered and in confidence, but you're rather on the pessimistic side or confused side or afraid side because of the things that you're looking at, the things that are staring you down, are causing you to have uncertainty even in light of Jesus, then you're in good company. Because even Jesus' own disciples 
were not ready to put their faith back in him following his greatest miracle and his greatest gift. Needless to say, the transition from Gospels to Acts was not a particularly easy one. And the reason why, the reason why was because things had changed, drastically so. And listen, come on, you know this. Change is never easy, is it? Nobody likes change. We only tolerate it, right? Change, no matter how extreme and how big, can be difficult. But this change that they went through was pretty big, and it was the most extreme. It was entirely different than what they had ever been used to. And you have to understand this. Going from Judaism to Jesus, going from students of the Jewish law, followers of, Ju of the Jewish law, under Moses, under the prophets, going from that to Jesus in the early days of his movement wasn't that big of a change because the text was the same, the rules were the same, it was just filtered through Jesus and not the temple and not the sacrificial system. As they had followed and studied under priests and rabbis and religious leaders, now they were following Jesus. Now they were under him as their leader, as their teacher, and as their final authority. But, but you see, before the resurrection, Christianity, as we know it, hadn't really gotten started. Because for the disciples, it was still, for the most part, a by-sight religion. Because it was all based on what they could see, what they could touch, what they could feel, what they could see right in front of them. Just like Judaism before, as they had followed Jesus, it was all about what they could see with their own eyes. They didn't go to the temple, but they still went wherever Jesus went. And even though Jesus promised that his death would be for their gain and that he would return and be with them in an even greater way, they didn't feel better after his resurrection. They felt broken. So if you're wondering, if you're thinking, hey, you know, why, why, did, why did the resurrection not change or did it not change them instantly? It didn't at all. It actually left them feeling more broken than ever, more confused than ever, more lost than ever. See, they had lost their connection with God because honestly... Jesus was no longer with them. Even if he had somehow risen from the grave, they couldn't see him, and it wasn't like it had been before. Now, if you look down at your Bibles in Luke 24, listen to how they respond to the news that Jesus was reportedly back from the dead. Luke 24, verse number 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles, as in they saw the tomb that was empty, and they came back to report it. In verse number 11, their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Now, that was the response of the Jesus followers. That was the response of the disciples of Jesus who had been there, done that with him, everything that he had been through. They responded, this seems like something you made up. This can't be real. We don't believe you. Now, they had two reasons for not believing. They had two reasons for not having faith. Number one, people just don't come back to life. So they didn't believe that Jesus had come back to life because no one had ever come back from the dead. But here's the bigger reason why they didn't believe. They didn't feel any different. I mean, if Jesus is alive, why do we still feel as empty as the tomb is reportedly empty? We don't feel any different. I mean, hey, we hear you. Jesus is alive. Well, okay, we don't see him. And more importantly, we don't feel different. If his tomb is empty, why do we feel so empty? They were asking that question sincerely and literally, but maybe we should too. Hello? Listen closely. When what they didn't know yet was that they were going to have to learn and adopt a brand new way to see 
Jesus and hear Jesus and follow Jesus in this new normal, in this new phase of his ministry. So that they could be filled with his resurrection life, not empty like his abandoned tomb. You see, the resurrection changed everything. Including and primarily the nature of their relationship with Jesus. This change wasn't for the worst by all means. It was for the best. It was what God was setting in motion from the very beginning. It was what he wanted the rest of the world and would intend for the rest of the world to come into relationship with Jesus under the understanding of, but this wasn't what they were used to. And i got to be honest with you. I never paid much attention to this transition before, how it was difficult for them to go from unbelievers to back to being believers, how it was difficult for them to adopt this new normal and understand this new nature of the relationship um, as Jesus was now risen from the grave. I, I never paid attention to the transition from, that Luke tells us about, that we read about at the end of each gospel until this year. Because we've been in a transition of our own here lately, haven't we? One that we couldn't have anticipated uh, or been adequately or fully prepared for. One that I didn't think we had a playbook for until I realized it was right here all along. You see, all that we do as a church, all that the Bible teaches about the church, sets up and is aimed towards a physical gathering. And we hope to get back to that model very shortly, but this forced transition that we've um, went through and we've been going through has been an eye-opening experience for many of us, hasn't it? Because it's forced us to follow Jesus in a new and different way, just like what they were going through. Forced them to follow him in a new and different way, which would be the forever way, actually. It's changed our routines, hasn't it? It's left us without church services, without interaction with other believers. It's left us without corporate worship, things that we need as believers, and things that I think that, that, that God intends us to always have, ideally. But I don't think... Right now, I don't think that God is on the other side of this pandemic with his arms crossed and tapping his foot thinking, you know what, y'all, I'm sorry, when y'all get over here, when y'all get to the other side, I'll show up, but there's just not another way. I mean, by all means, I think that ideally God wants us in the building together, worshiping and connecting and learning together, but I don't think just because this unforeseen circumstances has separated us that God somehow thinks, oh no, I never planned for that. I don't have a, 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 an idea how to minister to y'all as you're separate. I don't think God has been caught off guard, and I don't think he has left us without any help. I think he's been trying to show us there is another way, another way that should have been with us the whole time that could actually strengthen what we normally do. And here's another thing. Even stuff we normally do that's not spiritual, that we haven't been able to do, your hobbies, your recreation, things that your work, you know, habits have changed, Good things that you do to enjoy life and that God lets you do to, to get through each day. In the absence of those things over the past weeks, I'm going to bet that you've experienced some down times and some difficult times that have had a negative impact on your faith. I bet I'm right because I've been there with you. 
Whereas things that are not really spiritual at all, things that just are not particularly spiritual about my hobbies or about the things that I do on a normal day that I can't do anymore, right? Simple things like going to the store or going to see them or doing that, things that we just do out of habit, out of routine, that we can't do anymore by losing that habit and losing that routine, even things that aren't really spiritual, by losing those things, they've left me vulnerable, they've left me feeling weak, and all those things have kind of infringed and invaded my faith and actually harmed my faith. So it's not just that I can't get to the building and worship, my entire routine has been upside down. And all those things kind of funnel to the same place in my heart and work their way, and wedge their way, and eat at my faith. And I bet the same may be true for you. See, my point is, we haven't been able to lean on some of the things that helped us cope or cover up some of the more challenging aspects of our days. And maybe what this should make us realize is that even when things are normal again, we have someone better to lean on. We have a friend to confide in, a Savior we can lean on, a God we can trust in at all times. Having a relationship with Jesus isn't just something we can benefit from here or there or then, or it's something that we can benefit from and holistically gain from in every aspect of our lives, in any season and in every day. So in this transition, in this gap, I think God's trying to teach us something powerful. Back before this crisis and pandemic started a few months ago, back in February on a Wednesday night, uh, we've been studying through Exodus as a church, and God told us some incredible things about what it means to be a worshiping community. Um, but back then, before any of this was any, even inside or on our radar, um, we studied a story in Exodus that I think is so relevant right now, and I'm so grateful that God taught us this, and, and it makes me so thankful just for the, the, those that were able to gather, and I would encourage you to, to always be faithful to your church, always look forward to any gathering you can get to, because you never know when God's going to drop something so important that may be months before you even need it. And, and honestly, I'm just a messenger. It's eerie how relevant that message was to our church, to me as a believer, in hindsight. But, but there's this story in Exodus where God's people had disobeyed him. And God is putting them to a test. And even in, their even in their disobedience, God is still encouraging them to continue on their journey. But he's also warning them that they might need to be mindful of things that, that aren't going to go their way or aren't going their way and realize that he is testing their faith. Now, it's a little bit murky when you go back and read the story. But anyway, in life, as we are going about our days, God is always pushing and teaching us toward, or or pushing us toward progress. God's will for all of us is to obey Him and to go forward, move and grow and overcome and fulfill. These are always and forever commandments, no matter the circumstances. But sometimes circumstances can challenge our growth, can't they? Sometimes circumstances can throw us off our normal and what seems to be easy routines. But there are situations we find ourselves in, usually because of personal gaps or situational setbacks, wherein God's Spirit just isn't in it. And we feel it, don't we? That we want to keep doing what we know we should do, but just something's different, right? And we just don't feel it. We don't know what's going on and who's to blame, but we just don't feel like we did before. We had a great season of our faith, but then something changed. Maybe, maybe it was God, maybe it was us, maybe it was somebody else besides the two. But regardless, we got ourselves in a season right now where things are different, and we want to keep moving, but something's preventing us from moving and growing and being normal, right? When this particular season of Exodus of the 
Israelites going from Egypt to the promised land, they found themselves in a situation where God said, don't forget your mission to continue to move forward. You've got a journey to get to the other side of the desert, so keep on pushing. But then he told them in the same breath, but if you leave this mountain anytime soon in the shape you're in, I'm not going to go with you. Hey, you should go, but better to warn you, I'm not going with you, but you better go. And they're thinking, come again? I mean, God, how can you be saying both go and woe at the same time? And can't we relate to this church? I mean, we want to move forward. We want to be normal, but there's things that are telling us we can't be normal. And in this case, it was God telling them both. Exodus 33, verse 3, God says, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. I want y'all to go, but I'm not going with you. And, and, and God was intentionally trying to get their attention. He was trying to, to wake them up because they were so asleep to their spiritual condition. God says, hey, this is the reminder of what I've told you to do, but here's the wake-up call. Y'all aren't in any shape to do it. Now, sometimes it can be God, sometimes it can just be circumstances that prevent us from being able to do it. But regardless, we find ourselves in this gap, in this conundrum, right? And listen to their response. You could expect it. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. Because what are we to do, God? We can't go because if you aren't with us, we aren't going to make it. But we also know if we don't go, we're actually falling behind. Now, here's another cool thing about this story. There was so much sin in the camp, and there had been outbreaks of plagues and pandemics that the people had to isolate themselves to their own tent. Hello? The people couldn't fellowship with each other. They had just built the tabernacle. They had just started corporate worship, but it was all on hold. So the people get really upset because they couldn't come together, and only Moses was able, because he basically lived there, only Moses was able to go to worship. But here's what the story tells us. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up. Each would stand at his or her tent door and watch Moses until he had gone to the tent. Isn't that good? That They couldn't go, but they got up when he did go, and they were with him in spirit. And they said, you know what? We're going to figure this out. We're going to work through this together. We know God wants us to move forward. Right now we can't, and we're going to figure out what is causing this gap. What are we going to do until the gap is erased? We're going to worship, and we're going to focus forward. And the best we can, we're going to put God first and seek his face. And until things change... We're going to keep our eyes on him. And that's exactly what I think we need to hear in this season. See, right now, God still wants us to grow and make progress in our walks, but we can't really go anywhere right now, can we? We can't really do the things that help us grow and help us improve. What are we supposed to do? God, how can I grow? I can't go, and I don't know what I should be doing. Where do I even start? I'm not feeling what I usually feel. Now, let me just give you a little basic advice. This isn't from the Word, but this is from me and my spirit, so take it however you want to take it. If something's preventing progress in your Christian walk, let it make you more determined to worship and grow. Don't give up. Because the devil doesn't want you to grow, right? 
And if something is hindering your progress, you be more determined than ever to worship however you can and study however you can. Don't give up. It could be. It could be God is just drawing you out and drawing you closer. It could be that God allowed some bad news to come our way to direct us to better news. Amen? It could be that the bad news is just meant to lift our eyes to better news. We often encounter roadblocks that stop us in our tracks. Bad news from the doctor, a job that didn't come through, deals that didn't close, phone calls that don't happen, relationships that fall apart, a national shutdown from a pandemic that keeps us from assembling and doing what we love to do as God's people. Things that make us want to give up, lose hope, but God is actually working through them to build us up and draw us in to create an enduring spirit within us. If we feel like we're getting mixed signals from God, we just need to prioritize getting closer to Him to hear Him clearly. Now, back to Luke before we close. They know that there's an empty tomb. They know that an empty tomb should equal full hearts. They've heard what was going to happen. They know that this should mean, hey, there's an empty tomb. Our hearts should be full. There's a resurrection happening in front of us. We should have resurrection power within us. But they aren't feeling it. Just like many of us aren't feeling it right now. Even though we know we should be able to cope and thrive in seasons like this, or at least that's what the preacher keeps telling us and the devotions we read keep telling us, listen, even something they knew was for their best, they had trouble wrapping their arms around it. They had trouble seeing how it was going to work out and focusing. But eventually they got there. And I think with their help, with a look through their eyes, we can get there too. We are going to have to do what they did, learn what they learned, learn how to look for and listen for Jesus in this new phase. However long it may last and however soon it may end, we can't afford to miss Him on any day. The duration of this season, for whatever similar one that may come, we need to be prepared to look for and listen for Him no matter what. For the disciples, you see, they had to adapt to this new normal where Jesus wouldn't be with them as He once was. See, they had to adapt. They had to go from following Jesus by sight and in the flesh. It, would re- it was replaced with following Jesus by faith and in the Spirit. And this was not an inferior substitution. This was a better way, a better model, and this would be the forever model. As hard as it was for them to believe and accept, it would be a better way. As we continue looking through their eyes, we'll find throughout Acts that they learned to thrive under and within this better way. As they transitioned from being in his physical presence, in his physical footsteps, to receiving his spiritual presence and following his spiritual guidance. And here's some good news. This isn't some wide open highway where Jesus may be in the most abstract places or revealed in some random way. We have a path showed to us in Scripture. We can trust what God has done before and expect Him to do it again. You see, in verse 12, Peter, when he hears this news, he doesn't believe it. 
He runs to the tomb and he stoops down. He sees the linen clothes by themselves. He departed, marveling at, to himself at what had happened. Marvel is just a fancy word. It's saying, uh, putting, he was doubting and he was wondering. He was trying to figure it out. His mind didn't immediately go, hey, this is the best news. This is going to be better than before. He was wondering, where do we go from here? Thankfully, he didn't have to go on a scavenger hunt to find Jesus. Jesus would come to find him in just a matter of time. And for them, that matter of time began in verse number 13. Now behold, two of them, one of these was Peter, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. When they, when they talked together of all things which had happened, so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But look at verse 13, 16. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Let me just translate that for you. Jesus appeared to them, but they did not recognize him. They had spent years with him. But in this new era, this new phase, they couldn't recognize him. Now listen, if they didn't recognize Jesus, hello? If they didn't recognize Jesus and they spent three years with him, could this happen to us? Oh yes, it happens to us. Now why couldn't they recognize him? Because they weren't expecting him. They weren't looking for him and they weren't listening for him. They didn't expect him to be visible, to be discoverable. See, they'd given up. They had written off the chances of experiencing him because of the circumstances they had experienced. They said, hey, we've went through some stuff that's too bad for God to ever work out for good. We've went through some bad circumstances, so the chances of seeing Jesus through this, they are as good as zero. Can you believe that? Now, if they made that illogical conclusion, don't you think that you and I may fall for this same trap. And don't you think in this challenging season, we may have missed him, we might miss him? Look at verse 17, it says, He said to them, what kind of conversation is this and that you have with one another? As you walk and are sad. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have not known these things would have happened the, there in these days? He said to them, What things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and in word before God and all people, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. We were hoping, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all these things, today is the third day since these things happened. And certain women of our company were, who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. You pay attention to two very important things. In verse 21, we were hoping, as in we aren't hoping anymore. We've lost all hope. Yeah, we heard that there's an empty tomb, but verse 24, but they did not see him, and until we see him, we don't know what to believe. They were still looking through dimmed and dark 
glasses. They were still looking for Jesus by sight and not by faith. They were still looking through a means of their flesh, not by his spirit. Verse 25, then he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that is the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ have suffered these things to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They didn't know it was himself, though. Jesus instructs them on how they could have avoided this gap in their faith. He says, had you turned and opened the word, had you used the word as your lamp and guiding light, you would know this isn't the end, that God is up to something even in this season. Had you did what David said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, you would have found a way through this season and realized that God was up to something and he was in control. We need to search the scriptures and search for truth for answers in this season. You know what Jesus said about truth? It will set you free. Free from what? It means we feel trapped by the news we're reading. We feel trapped by politics, by economics. We feel trapped by circumstances. God's word offers us insight and freedom from those traps. It may not change circumstances, but it can change us and free us and remind us that God has a bigger plan. God has a bigger purpose and free us to trust in and see God's purpose. We need to cry out to God and open his word and ask him to open our eyes and give us direction in this time. Psalm 119 continues, David says, Lord, let my cry come before you. Give me understanding according to what? The Word. Jesus uses the Word to slowly open their eyes, and they're about to see very clearly. The story concludes, verse 28, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. He went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them. He took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did our hearts not burn within us when he talked with us on the road, when he opened the scriptures to us? Then they arose in that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. Lord, saying, the Lord is risen indeed. He's appeared to Simon. And they told about the things, and they told about the things that had happened on the road, how he was known to them, and the breaking of bread, the speaking of the word. He was right in front of us the entire time. We were just looking and listening in the wrong way, in a limited way, in an imperfect way. See, what have we missed from God that we just weren't looking for? What has God been trying to say to us in this season that we just weren't listening for? You know what I learned from that story? You know how unreliable by sight religion is? Jesus was right in front of them the whole time, and they still couldn't recognize him. It was only when they heard his word and reminded of his promises that their eyes were opened. When their faith awakened, their eyes were opened. 
It wasn't about what they could see. It's who they trusted in. It's who they believed in. And that's what opened their eyes. In this gap period between His resurrection and the church's grand opening, Jesus would prepare them for a lifestyle of by faith, not by sight. A lifestyle where they would daily be in the habit of confessing before God, I can't do this on my own. I am lost in my flesh. I can't see you. I can't hear you. But by faith, I know you're there. I know you're speaking. I know you're leading me. By faith, I'm not giving up. By faith, I'm still looking and I'm still listening. And by faith, I am going to see and I am going to hear from heaven. See, when they put faith in Him, their hearts burned with His life and their hearts were filled with His Spirit. And that was the new normal. Listen, church, that should always be our normal. Rising up against circumstances and saying, by faith, Jesus is with me. By faith, He's speaking. By faith, He's leading Down in verse 49, Jesus closes out this whole story by saying to them, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you you are endued with power from on high. He tells them, he tells us to wait. And while you wait, hone this new skill of by faith, listening and looking, receiving and experiencing... Over in Acts, Luke begins the second volume the way he ends this one. He says in Acts chapter 1, While staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now that's a promise that is perpetual for all who wait and all who trust. That while we wait, we can trust God is going to fill us, not empty us. He's going to bless us, not curse us. He's going to lead us, not abandon us. He's going to be with us, not forsaken us. He is going to lead us out, and we are going to be stronger and closer than before. But only and only if we wait and trust and double down on what matters most, faith and not sight. Sight may say it's getting worse, but faith says it's just getting better. And we're just getting started. In this season, we need to be asking God to give us more than a good feeling. We need to ask God for a spirit feeling to baptize us, to fill us with His presence as we open His Word. We pray to Him, open our eyes. If we do, if we do, We will learn how to look for and listen for Jesus in the most challenging of seasons when we walk by faith and not by sight. It starts with our hearts. We've got to confess that we rely far too much and far too heavily on what we can see and what we hear with our flesh. We believe and trust in wrong sources. We lean on wrong things. We have to give Him our hearts. We have to surrender to Him. We have to confess because the tomb is empty. I don't have to be empty. I can be filled with His life. we got to pray, Lord, empty me of everything. Open my eyes to greater things, to a better way. Fill me with Your life, Your power, and Your Spirit. Lord, help me to walk by faith and not by sight.
It begins with a simple act of surrender. A simple act. A simple word. Lord, I give you my heart. Fill me with your life. Help me to walk by faith and not by sight. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you. Thank you so much for this record of what happened and what seems to always happen throughout history over and over again. We put our faith in what we can see and not our Savior who is risen from the grave. Lord, help us to forsake what we see. Help us to forsake by sight and be all in by faith. Lord, we're waiting for the promise. We're trusting in your presence. We're not looking for a feeling. We're looking for you to fill us with your spirit and bring us out of this season stronger and closer than ever before. We give you our hearts. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.